What's up, what's up, friends? Welcome to this week's episode of the Unleash Your Voice podcast. I'm your host, Danny D. I am a voice and leadership specialist. I'm also an author, I'm a speaker, and I'm an educator. And welcome to this part of the internet where we take all those unique qualities of who you are, everything that's made you feel too much for the world around you, and leverage that into an industry asset because you're fabulous. So stop being so secretive about it. Today, we are talking about iconic leadership, where it came from, what it is, and why it's something that I started to really utilize in my own style of leadership. When I talk about iconic leadership, I am talking about leading with integrity, communication, ownership, nuance, intention, capacity, consent at the forefront of your leadership style. This is a way that we can really make sure that we are compassionate, that we lead in ways that hold space for people's humanity, that we allow a lot of choice and autonomy in our workplaces, in our relationships, in our containers, if we work privately with people, in the ways that we market, and just so many different aspects of what it means to be a leader. Because I truly believe that when it comes to leadership, leadership is a collaboration. It is a way that we can hold space for people to step into the most brilliant version of who they are. If we are leading for like a team within a workplace, we really want people to thrive like alone in their own ways and thrive together as a team and utilize each individual skill set to build a really strong team. But what tends to happen is a lot of ego gets involved and a lot of leadership styles that we see that can be quite problematic really put whoever's in the leadership position in like an all-knowing position or authoritative position where it's like, this person is the top dog and everyone has to kind of do what they do or do what they say. And that is really not a leadership position. That is a dictatorship. And those are very different. If you'll notice, those are a lot of the times where we have miscommunication or we have people who just stop trying or people who manipulate the system to because they don't really want to be there. <laughs> or we have situations where there is a really high turnover. And then when we look at this in the online space, this is where we get a lot of manipulative marketing, a lot of like duplication is what it's called, but it's essentially like there is an image of greatness and in the industry or wherever. And everyone is trying to live up to exactly who that person is and what they say is law. And that doesn't hold space for the nuances of people's humanity. That doesn't hold space for different privileges. That doesn't hold space for different ways of working or chronic illness or neurodivergency or anything like that. It's really held to a standard where if you can't duplicate this one person, then you're not valuable or whatever. That's the rhetoric. Or you have to work as hard as possible to be something that you might not be. And it takes away your choice. And that's where we get into, in the online space specifically, manipulative marketing. We get into coercion and a lot of not informed consent. So informed consent is when someone knows what they're signing up for. Not informed consent is when you're not presented all the information to make a decision. And so you're presented information that has been manipulated so that you will say yes. This looks like getting people to say yes on the phone call or utilizing some trauma and exploiting that trauma to get people to feel pity so that they'll buy. Or this can look like certain companies not giving all the information to distributors because recruiting really looks like how do we get people in? How do you hit your targets versus how do we actually hold space for humanity within this and do this 
this in a really ethical way. And I will say when we start to think about like duplication and different styles of leadership that is really focused on dictatorship, that is where we start to get into the grit of cult-like behavior. And when we look at cult-like behavior, I am really looking through the lens of Stephen Hayson's um, BITE model, which is the B-I-T-E model, which is controlling of behaviors, information, thoughts, and environment to create a rhetoric that that specific leader wants to have become a doctrine, right? And so we can see this in the internet even, right? And we can see these things in leadership styles that don't actually hold space for autonomy, don't hold space for questioning, don't hold space for informed consent, don't hold space for actually giving time, space, and ownership to the people who are coming into these spaces to do their own research or to question things or to deeply find an understanding for themselves. So as someone who works primarily online and works with personal brands and works with companies and nonprofits and goes in and trains teams on iconic leadership in these frameworks, the forefront of the online space for me is really seeing what can we do to have more choice, to have less manipulation and marketing, to have a more of an understanding of people's humanity and recognize our own privilege and our own lived experience and how that might differ from other people's and letting that be okay and letting there be differences and differences of opinions and not always needing to be the most knowledgeable person in the room or making the most money or being the best or the fittest or whatever in order to be seen as valuable. And I also work offline too. I go into schools and I teach with kids um, when I teach them self-expression and leadership skills and theater. And then I also go into nonprofits and train teams in person too. I've been on leadership boards. Like There is a very strong dynamic in those spaces of me ensuring that there is a lot of choice, that there is a lot of listening to each other, that there is a lot of informed consent amongst the people in the community or ensuring that people are seeing the humans in their space as humans with nuances and different layers. So I'm going to go through the iconic leadership framework right now, and I'm just going to kind of break down each and every part of the acronym for you, just so you can really see and think for yourself how these things might apply to you, what you want to take, what you want to leave, and how these things might be valuable for you, your industry, and your space. Because even in relationships, like we are the leaders of our life business relationships, you're leading your life, whether you like it or not. And I talk about leadership, not just in one single dynamic. I talk about it really taking ownership of our lives, of our relationships, of what we're consenting to, and ensuring that we are also aware of what we bring into every single space and how we can have a really profound impact on each environment we enter into without even knowing it. And when I think of the word iconic, it's not to be idolizing. It's kind of a play on the idea of timelessness. When you think of things that are iconic, you're like, that is so iconic. It not only evokes an emotion to you, it evokes an emotion of desire, it evokes emotion of magnetism and charisma, and it also feels timeless. Like when you think of the people or the impact that is iconic. You think of something that really transcends time and space. And that's what I'm going for with this, but in an ethical way, in a way that is not glamorizing trauma, but in a way that is glamorizing or glorifying that in a way, this is really in a way that is putting these things, these values that 
will help us be leaders that stand the test of time at the forefront. So I'm going to dive right into it with the first letter, which is integrity. Now, if you've ever been at any personal development event ever, (laughs) you probably know integrity as being a person of your word. So doing what you say, saying what you do, which I think is immensely valuable to really build trust within yourself and within others of really saying what you're going to do and doing what you're going to say, right? But I'm going to add a little bit of nuance to this one word. And when I talk about nuance, I think of layers, the gray areas, not really black and white thinking or this or that thinking, but yes and thinking. If you were ever in improv, you're probably like, oh my gosh, yes and. (laughs) Yes and. (laughs) Exactly. So integrity can be being a person of your word 100%, which means that when you say you're going to do something, that your word is law and you're going to do it. And I also think that within this word and within this definition, we also have to hold space for the fact that sometimes that is not actually in the best interest of everyone. So I really look at this of being in in integrity is really being and holding yourself accountable to your value system. This is really what I think about. So for example, my value system is to give people the best version of me. So when I think of being in integrity with who I am, I may say yes to something. So for example, I may say yes to having a meeting or whatever, right? With a client. And we've decided on time and I wake up that morning just sick as a dog. Now I might ask that person, Hey, are you open to moving this back a couple hours? I feel really sick. I think I can still do it today, but maybe we can push this back. What's a time that works for you now? I'm doing a couple things here. Number one, I'm asking for consent. Number two, which means that I'm saying, hey, are you open to shifting this? Number two, I am having clear and direct communication. You'll see these when we go through each level of the the iconic leadership model. But I'm having a really clear communication. I am right away, I wake up, and the first thing that I'm going to do when I'm feeling off is I'm going to communicate that. I'm going to communicate kind of where I'm at, and I'm going to ask for consent to move the meeting. That is not because I'm canceling. That is not because I am an awful person and I'm not a person of my word if I don't quote unquote show up. That means that if I'm in integrity with my value system that says, if I'm going to give my clients the greatest version of me so that I can hold space for whatever they're going through or that I can have my focus on them and be the person that is going to be the most helpful in that space, which is I need to be at my best self, whatever that might look like in that moment, give them the best version of me so that we can actually have a really productive call. I'm going to reschedule, or I'm going to ask for consent to push that meeting back. That doesn't mean I am not a person of my word. That means that I'm holding myself accountable to my value system. Now there are some times where we just do it, right? We kind of push through it and that's okay too. This isn't black and white thinking. That's why we have the N in iconic leadership is nuance because there's not always a yes or no answer. Sometimes there is layers and sometimes there's a lot of moving pieces. Another example might be maybe you, and this is where we also look at nuance. So integrity might look like you are, your value system is your family and maybe you were going to go somewhere and you had to push back a coffee with a friend or something like that for later in the week, or maybe a meeting with a potential client or something like that. You had to push it back because you couldn't get childcare. 
That doesn't mean you're not a person of your word. If your value system, if you are in, in integrity with your value system, you're saying, I'm holding myself accountable to my value system, then that for me, I would rather have someone really hold strong to their value system than try to, you know, try to like get through a meeting with me and be distracted or not be present with me. Right. But then again, that is my value system. So we have to look at integrity through the lens of values. If we're going to hold space for nuance, because your core values, you're going to hold yourself accountable to without trying, because that's what you believe in. That's what your value system is. That's what you hold value to in your life. And if you're holding value to those things in your life, a lot of your decisions are going to be dictated to that. So that doesn't mean you're not a person of your word. If anything, that means that those are character decisions, right? They're not emotional decisions. They're character decisions. You're holding yourself accountable to your values. And when we think of the idea of not being an integrity, oftentimes it's associated with being emotionally reactive or having a change of thoughts or last minute flakiness, quote unquote, I'll put that in quotes, whatever, because of an emotional reactivity or just last minute changing and stuff like that. It's very emotional. But when we also talk about integrity, we need to take into account emotional intelligence. So it means that we are making decisions from a place of not bypassing our emotions in any way, shape, or form, feeling our feelings, and then allowing ourselves to get back into an intellectual place to make decisions from. Because as Melanie Ann Lair, who is a leader in the space, always says, and I love this saying, when emotions are high, intelligence is low, which is so accurate because you cannot fight emotions with logic. You can't. If you're feeling really emotional and someone's trying to tell you what you should have done, quote unquote, you can't see that. All you can see right now is what you're feeling. So you need to feel your feelings and get into a space of logic before you can make a decision. This also looks like when you are in a space of leadership, even with coworkers or whatever, I guarantee we've all seen a boss or someone in a really high position act in a really emotionally charged way. And I'll ask you, was that productive or did that harm relationships? Did that damage trust in the community and in the company? And did that have the employees see that person in a different light and change the way that they are working in order to now walk on eggshells, which means that they're holding back, which means that they're not going to bring really innovative ideas to the table because they're going to be so scared to expand past a certain barrier because they don't want someone to fly off the handle. They're going to be scared to make mistakes. I don't think mistakes are bad. I think mistakes are how we learn. It's how we grow trial and error. So if you're not holding space for those things, is your value system actually saying, is being an integrity with you as a leader, is it actually saying, I want the best of the company? Or is it saying my ego, my emotions, and my own sense of safety goes before anyone else's, right? You're going to get two very different outcomes from your team, depending on what you're leading with. But if you lead with your value system and you make sure that maybe if your value system is really the, the team thriving or the company thriving, then really working from a strategic place means that you need to move through your emotions and let them teach you, and then also come from an intellectual place where you can make decisions that are sound, secure, and in integrity with your value system or in integrity with the intentions that you bring to the table. The next is one of my favorites, which is clear communication. So we have integrity is the I, the C is clear communication or just communication. I think communication skills take out a lot of drama from relationships and how we relate to the people around us, how we relate in the office, how we relate to 
our relationships, whether that be with clients, friends, family, whatever, right? So when we talk about communication, I strongly believe that when we're thinking about communication, oftentimes the biggest thing that happens is under communication that is normalized as communication and over communication that's shamed as over communication. Where when you think about communication, I would like you to take Seinfeld, for example, or any 90s sitcom. Most of the problems happen in those 90s sitcoms because no one has a cell phone. No one can communicate. So crazy things happen. (laughs) Crazy things. People get lost in parkades. Um, People miss on meeting each other and something wild happens because there's no communication. There's under communication or people aren't able to communicate with one another. Now, I want you to think about that in every dramatic time that has come in the workplace or emotionally reactive thing, it's probably because people didn't know what they didn't know. So there's a couple of things that I like to, when I'm talking about clear communication, I like to unpack. The first thing is over-communication is probably just communication because over-communication is oftentimes when people are feeling strong enough in themselves to communicate what they need. They're strong enough in themselves to advocate for what they need from whoever's in the leadership position to support them. And they're oftentimes maybe setting boundaries or communicating things that could be worked out together. The second thing that I like to take into account is ABC. This is actually taken from my time in the school system. Um, About six years ago, I heard some teachers talk about it. And then from there, it's kind of been in my back pocket, which is ABC, all behaviors communication. And this goes for the moments in time where maybe you might have people who are neurodivergent on your team or people who might not have the ability to speak, or maybe English isn't their first language, like all those different things, all behaviors communication. So There's so many different ways to communicate that is not just verbally. So that's body language. That's everything else you can think of emotionally, energetically, like all these different aspects of communication that we need to take into account. Also, ABC, all behaviors, communication also goes for if you're not getting the results you want from your team, what are you communicating to them in your leadership style and how you govern yourself and how you govern each space? If you're being micromanagey, what is that really communicating? Is that communicating that you trust your team to do the best of their interest? Or does that mean that they're not living up to a subjective expectation you have of them? What is that communicating to your team? When we think of ABC, we can also look at marketing. I love talking about marketing when it comes to ABC, all behaviors, communication, because I think of my marketing and my branding as a way to communicate to my audience who I am, what I stand for, what it's going to be like working with me, what my value system is, and the things that they can expect being on in on any of my offers so that they know when they hire me, when they ask me to come in and speak at an event, when they have me in their leadership containers where I'm training people or whatever way, shape, or form, they know what they're getting, right? They know what they're getting. There's trust built there. Now, I always say, you don't have to trust me. You don't have to like me. When I go and train and teach, it's, you don't have to trust me. You don't have to like me. I'm okay with earning that because trust is not assumed in a space just because I'm an authority figure, um, whether that be a teacher, an educator, a facilitator, or listening to a podcast right now, or talking on the podcast that you're listening to. I mean, that doesn't mean you have to trust me. 
whatever educational background I have or fun accolades or things that I can kind of boast about. That doesn't mean you have to like me. That doesn't mean you have to trust me. I'm very okay with you learning who I am and what I stand for and what it's like working with me. So you have informed consent when you hire me. So you know what you're getting yourself into. This is another way, you know what you're getting yourself into sounds so dramatic, but it's another way that I can say, Hey, like here is the information or here I'm communicating to you with how I answer comments, with, um, how I do videos, with how I communicate in my marketing, with how I show up and govern myself in spaces with other people. That's all communication. And that's all sharing with the people around me, what they can expect from me. And that is a really profound way of giving people choice because they can consent to that dynamic or they don't have to. And that's no skin off your back, quote unquote, because you know you're in integrity with your own value system. So you know how you're governing yourself Governing yourself is the way that is in alignment with your value system. So people can consent to that or they don't have to. The O in iconic leadership is all about ownership. So I talk about owning our behaviors, owning our beliefs and what we stand for, really owning um, the times that we mess up or we say something that is not amazing, the ownership that comes from having a social media platform or a personal brand where you have to be like, okay, cool. I have to take ownership over this plot of land that I have when it comes to the social media, right? So it's like, I'm going to build my house on Instagram and just Instagram is this third party app, but I'm going to build a little personal brand house on this app and I have to own that house, right? I have to own what happens in that space. I have to take ownership of what I say in the DMs. I have to take ownership of my boundaries that I set with my audience. I have to take ownership of what I'm communicating to my audience. I have to take ownership over what I'm posting, which means that you have to really be like, is what I'm posting clearly communicating what I want? And really, is it in integrity with my value system is how I govern myself in integrity with my value system on this app as well. And when you come from that space, people can say critical things about your social media. And you can say like, actually, that doesn't really bother me because I'm, I own who I am online. I own this plot of the internet, right? (laughs) Even though it's on a third party app, it's like, I own this space that I built this house in and I get to dictate the energy of the space. And what's really cool about that is I talk a lot about social media consent, which means that if you consent to following me, you consent to all of me, which means that anything that I choose to post, it's you are consenting to receiving that on your timeline. And if you block me or delete me or unfriend me, it's okay because that doesn't mean anything about my, my own value as a person or a creator. That just means that you don't want to see that on your timeline or you don't want to hear me talk about those things on your timeline. And that's okay. Also with ownership comes from if you mess up or you say something and someone calls you out or calls you in and says, Hey, like that's actually really problematic or that's actually really damaging. Are you willing to own those actions and do your research or own those actions and own the impact of what you did or what you said and apologize or correct your behavior, right? Like, are you actually willing to own the impact as well? Not just the intention because you can have the best intentions and still have an impact that isn't in alignment with what you value, right? You'd be like, oh, I messed up here. How can I own the actual impact of what 
I created, right? And that's where we really go for ownership. The N is nuance. So let's talk a little bit about nuance. Nuance is where we hold space for a lot of the human experience. It's where we take into account privilege. It's where we take into account environment, where we take into account systemic factors and societal factors, where we take into account lived experience and trauma and different types of nuances in education, whether that's traditional or not. And one of the most profound ways that we can look through the lens of nuance is knowing that everyone has a different experience. So how I like to explain this when I do workshops is I say, okay, you get an email from someone. And this is just like a really easy way to explain it. So you get an email from someone and someone wants to work with you or someone wants to apply for a job and their grammar is not great. And maybe there's some words that are misused. Is your first thought oh, this person didn't put time and energy into this. I can't believe they would approach me like this, blah, 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 blah. And like anger or judgment or criticism, or is your first thought, I wonder if English is their first language. Or I wonder if this person might have a reading disability or might be dyslexic or neurodivergent or Maybe they don't have a lot of privilege when it comes to education, and maybe you are very privileged in your education, and you're using that to look through your lens of your own lived experience and assume everyone has the same lived experience as you. And that's where we take into account marketing too. Um, One thing that I'm really working on that I will say is something that I struggle with a lot is not centering myself in my marketing. I love talking about personal experience. I love oversharing. (laughs) I also have ADHD, so I'm a chronic oversharer. And I love just like really exploring life and how I see life through my own lens. I'm also an artist at my core and will always be. So I work with my own personal experience a lot to express myself. Now, having said that, I can have all that and not center myself in every single piece of content. And that's something that I'm working on right now is not just writing content through the lens of my own two eyes, but really holding space for people to have their own experience while reading my work or reading my content or being in a workshop with me, right? So that's where we come into nuance. The other I and iconic is intention. Why do we do what we do? And I think that's just so crucial when it comes to emotional intelligence or why we ask for certain things. Like what is the intention of what I'm doing? Because someone can come in at a workplace and have the intention of everyone in the team working together with their own skill set and really see that team thrive. Now, someone can come in with the intention of whipping them into shape under their own perspective of what is right, what is professional, what is whatever, and that is a very different energy. So when we're leading with intention, we really need to just take into account, like, what is the dynamic that I bring into the spaces that I enter into and why? What is actually governing this space when I enter it, right? Like, what? why do I do what I do? Why am I thinking what I'm thinking? Like, what are the reasons why I show up and do the work that I do? Because that's all going to influence the actions, behaviors, and the way that we govern these spaces. And the final C is split into two different C's, which is consent and capacity, because you can't have one without the other. So consent is a really sexualized term, and I think it should just be a bare minimum for everything that we do. Consent says, I value your autonomy. I value my autonomy. I know that we are two very different people, or we are two separate people, and I respect you, and I hope you respect me. 
And so I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. I'm going to check in. This also goes for clear communication. And I am not going to challenge your no. So in marketing, especially, we are taught to bypass consent like crazy. We are taught that if someone has objections that we need to bust them. So that's really saying if someone says no, you have to convince them yes. And that's not consensual. (laughs) We are taught to go into people's DMs and market to them directly when we don't know what that person's going through. We don't know the nuances of their life. And we are taught to really kind of be invasive in people's faces and exploit trauma or exploit the things that we have gone through or other people have gone through and really rub it in people's faces to try to manipulate them into signing up with us, manipulate them into buying from us, manipulate them into being a part of our communities. And I want you to think when you think about marketing and stuff like that, if anything is like pain points or or being like, yeah, when even thinking about pain points, when we're thinking about, okay, you need to get into the person's head and, and figure out what their problems are and then be the solution for them, is that actually ethical and productive in your opinion? Is it ethical and productive for me to go to a friend of mine and be like, wow, yeah, you really suck. Um, well, I'm awesome. And if you want to be awesome too, you'll just do whatever I say, right? That's how it can come across when we don't hold space for nuance and lived experience or trauma. That's what comes into account when we don't hold space for consent is that we assume that we know the best for everyone, even though we have a limited perspective based on our own humanity. And we push that into people and onto people and don't let them say no. We just say we know best, right? So when we're talking about consent, we are really talking about consent in all areas. We're talking about checking in with people and asking if they have the space, time, and capacity to hold what we are offering. Even if you're signing to someone's DMs, are you open to having a conversation? And if someone says no, then they say no. But we're taught against this because sometimes the results aren't as sexy, aren't as quick, aren't as whatever, because we've been taught to market in a way that exploits people's trauma or leverages people's personal experience. So they will do what we want them to do which is pay us, which I would love to ask you, does that sound ethical to you? And are there times that maybe you've even done that? Because I definitely did. And this is why I have no judgment, (laughs) no judgment wherever you might be in this journey. Because when I came into the online space, that's what I did. I was part of multiple multi-level marketing companies. I left those to do something like my own thing. And I still use those tactics of duplication, of DMing hundreds of people a day, of really manipulating people in my marketing with pain points and selling this luxury lifestyle, whatever that might've been at the time to people, assuming that that's what they wanted instead of starting conversations, instead of just owning where I was at and who I was and what my life looked like, right? I was trying to sell a dream and not actually valuing what I brought to the table. I looked at everyone else and I thought they know, they know so much more than me. So I need to do what, do what they tell me to do, right? I need to act in the ways that they tell me to act instead of really honoring my own autonomy. And with honoring my own autonomy, that also looks like honoring my capacity. So when we talk about capacity and consent, they are hand in hand. And when I talk about capacity, I'm talking about how much can you hold? How much can you hold emotionally? How how much can you hold physically? How much can you hold mentally? Like, what does that look like for you? And the way that I describe it is imagine you have a cup of coffee and it's almost to the rim and it's piping hot. And I go and I 
without even asking you, pour even more piping hot coffee in your mug and it starts to spill over. What's it going to do? It's going to make a mess. It's going to make a mess. It's going to burn your hands. There's going to be like lasting damage maybe on your hands because it's going to burn. Um, we're going to have to spend time like pausing whatever we're doing to clean up the mess before we can even like move forward. That is what it looks like when we don't respect people's capacity or our own capacity. So now imagine that that cup is your emotions and someone comes in with piping hot emotions and it boils over or criticism or whatever. Think about it mentally. Someone comes and puts a ton more on your plate without asking where you're at or checking in. Then it spills over and now you're overwhelmed and you're burnt out. Maybe you have a mental breakdown or something happens where you just feel like you can't take anymore. When you think about environmental or physical, like maybe you don't actually have time in your day and someone comes in and just kind of schedules stuff for you. Now, depending on how confident you are in in advocating for yourself, you might be like, I'll tell them no. But also you might be like, well, unless it's from this one person and then I'm willing to just take on whatever, right? And so when it comes to capacity, we need to honor our capacity and communicate it clearly. So this can be very simple. It can look as simple as someone comes, maybe you need something done. You walk into someone's office, you knock on their door, you say, Hey, Billy, do you have space to do this for me? Do you have the capacity to do that? I'm kind of overwhelmed and I would love for some help. That person says, actually, no, I don't. But what I can do for you is get someone else to help. What I can do for you is help you find a solution. What I can do for you is maybe do it tomorrow and take that off your plate tomorrow. Is that okay with you? Consensual language. Does that work for you? Are you open to this? Do you have capacity for this? That can go a long way. And being honest with your capacity and also honoring the autonomy and the nuances and what other other people might be going through makes you a more compassionate leader, whether that be in your relationships, in your friendships, in your family dynamics, everything. It's going to help you a lot, especially if you struggle with boundaries, because then you can see boundaries as a gift instead of a punishment. You can see boundaries as communicating your capacity, as saying what you need, and as telling someone how to get the best version of you in that moment, saying, hey, I actually don't have space for that, or hey, I'm going to go take a shower. I just need to be by myself for a couple minutes. I'm a little overwhelmed, whatever. Is that cool with you? Awesome. And is that cool with you is a lot less of when it comes to that stuff, like, Hey, I'm going to do this for me. Is that cool with you? It's a lot less of, do I have your permission? And a lot more of, Hey, I'm checking in with you to see where you're at too. Because though I honor both of our autonomies, I know that I am my own person and you are your own person. And maybe there's something that I don't see. Maybe there's some nuances here that I'm not aware of. This can also look like if you are marketing to people, Capacity and consent is huge because there's that aspect of saying, hey, I'm going to talk about some heavy stuff in this one post. I'm going to put a trigger warning at the, at the top, not to censor myself, but because I understand that people are just scrolling and their capacity is going to be different and they might not consent to seeing or reading about this. And then they got stuck in the timeline and it's not my job to censor my content, but what I can do is make this more consensual by saying, Hey, a trigger warning. I'm going to talk about this in this post and people can consent to it or not. That just goes for like heavy things. It can also look like saying, instead of saying you need this and you only have 24 hours and like you need me and all these things that we might say in our content or five reasons why you need to hire me or five reasons why I'm your person or six reasons why 
you need a coach right now. It's like, instead of saying that and projecting that onto them and then saying, and if you don't sign up in 24 hours, like you suck or like giving them a time limit on a call so that they don't have time to make decisions or trying to push them into a call you're not honoring people's capacity or their consent. And when I talked about informed consent too, it's like, do these people know the risks? Do these people know what you're offering and why? Like, do these people know what it is that you're offering? And I see this a lot when people create these offers and they're so in it. And the idea is like, if someone asks you a question about it, say like, when does this start? You as the leader need to be like, well, if you, if you trust yourself, you'll just be in, or you need to buy on the phone or something like that. Right. And those things aren't respecting people's informed consent. I have no problem answering questions like, when does this start? What are the payments plans like? And putting it all on my sales page, even how much it is, because people need to know what they're signing up for. And without it being a really emotional thing. So that's another thing too. It's like, I used to get really emotional about sharing my prices and now it's like, well, it costs what it costs. So they're asking because they just want the information. They're not asking because I need to justify my prices or when it comes to signing up for something, are you actually encouraging them to think about it? Are you encouraging them to be like, yeah, like feel free to ask questions, feel free to do whatever you need to do to make sure that this is the right decision for you. You research the company, do this, do whatever you need to do. Feel free. Look at a million things. And if you need me, I'll be over here. But that doesn't mean you stop just being your fabulous self. That means that you give that person informed consent to either say yes or no and respect it. And that is really when we're leading with that iconic leadership, we get away from that control model of like the bite model that I was talking about in the beginning of the episode, because we're no longer being like, I need to control your environment and your thoughts, like all that stuff and manipulate you to like see me as better than so that you'll hire me or so that you'll respect me. Because even when it comes to leadership in bosses and stuff, it's like no one respects a bully. They might fear a bully, but they don't respect you at all, at all right? They don't want to do their best for you. They're just trying to avoid criticism. They're just trying to avoid getting in trouble. So is that a productive thing? Are you going to get the best out of people? No, you're not. (laughs) Because when you bully people, people do not respect you and they avoid you and they'll avoid communicating with you, which means you've lost the clear communication. You've lost the consent and capacity. You've lost so much of these dynamics that create a really open, trusting relationship, whether that be with coworkers, friends, um, clients, family, whatever, you lose all that. And all you get is miscommunications, undercommunication, and you don't have connection anymore in that space. So when we look at these things and these frameworks, we're really not using it as a step tool. Like for me, I use this as kind of like, okay, cool. Am I acting in the, in these ways? Cause then I, then I'm good with myself, right? Then I can go to bed and I can be really proud of who I am today. But you can take this and you can look at your own leadership style. You can look at your own communication style. You can look at how you can bring this into account with your clients and, or teams or whatever, and say, am I actually living up to this in my own way? Break up this this um, acronym even for yourself. Like, Figure out what these things mean to you and utilize them in your own way with your own value system and what it means to you to be a really sound leader. Look at your favorite leaders or the people who you've really loved being in their energy, who have never made you feel shameful for who you are, who make you want to do your best every day, not because you want to please them, but because they make you feel like 
you are good as you are. And so you're so excited to grow while still having a, a safe place to land, right? Like all these things are really profound. And I guarantee if you implement one of these things, make it your own, you will see a profound change in how people respond to you because you've changed how you see people. So that's all about iconic leadership. I do do these workshops regularly. So if you have a community or you have a company that you want me to come in and speak to, or if you have a group of leaders, I've done this workshop for publishing houses. I've done this workshop for corporate events, for nonprofits, for personal brands and private coaching clients. So if that's something that you would want to look at and bring into your space or sending this to someone who you know might want this, you can go to daniellejerusso.com. That's Danielle with one L, daniellejerusso.com slash speaking, like speaking. Um, and that will send you to that. So I'll put that link below and there's like a little form you can fill out. You can look at other workshops that I also have to offer. Also, if you know about my membership, I'll put the link to that below. It's like a general studies is essentially in everything that I teach on every month we have a theme and this month's theme was you are the gift. And the next month is my birthday. So we'll talk more about iconic leadership. And then February is going to be drenched in adoration, which I'm very excited for, but VIP members of that membership actually get a call with me, a group coaching call every single month. And when you upgrade to a VIP membership, you will get access to the iconic leadership workshop that I did this month. The replay will be out in January. So that for you guys, you'll get that workshop included in your VIP membership, plus that group coaching call that will also be in January. So I'll put all those links below. If you need anything, you know where to find me. I'm sending you massive love, kick ass, take names, change the world. You're freaking fabulous. Stop being so secretive about it. And I will catch you next time. Mm -hmm.